What's up, Charmers? This is a very special episode this week. Now, there is an event that happens in Chicago every year. It's one of my favorite events of the year. It's an event that I hold near and dear to my heart. That is the Music Box of Horrors. Now, for those who don't know or aren't from the Chicagoland area, there's a great and amazing theater around here called the Music Box Theater who's constantly bringing mixture of new and vintage films and is really a bastion of not only art house but a place of a love for film of an act of actual film on camera 70 millimeter 35 millimeter and all of the different things and formats for video that make incredible filmmaking possible um, it's a place where you can go and see some of the most amazing films from around the world and from the past and they do a special marathon now marathons are something i'm a big fan of i like the notion of pushing yourself of 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 surrounding yourself by people who are truly dedicated and there's no other marathon out there quite like the music box of horrors and this year for 2023 we got a doozy now typically in the past i've attended this event alone i always sit up in the front row have a great time uh, and try to enjoy myself to the max. But this year, I've managed to bring my friend Charlotte along with me. And uh, next year, hopefully, we'll see Ben is there as well and maybe even Monty. But for this year, it was me and Charlotte tanking it on the very front row. And we sat through some of amazing films. Now, typically in the past, I've come to you today and let you know my thoughts. I've gone through the movies. I talked about what I thought, what I saw. But this time, we thought we'd do something a little bit different. After each and every film of the year, Charlotte and I would sit and record our review right there. As soon as the movie ended or as soon as the interview after the movie ended. Now, what you're going to hear following this up is kind of a descent into madness. You know, we started, we got there at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock and we were there until 12, 10, about 12 a.m. the next day. So 24 hours plus of cinema 24 hours plus of a wild, incredible crowd of horror. And the, the last thing I want to say before we throw it to Charlotte and I for these reviews is the music box of horrors represents something super important to me. Uh, it represents community. It represents what it means to be all together in a shared love of something. You know, I've, I've gone every year. I've gotten tattooed. I've done all these things every time I'm there. But really what holds it all together is not only the incredible hosts and the Music Box Theater for hosting it, but it's the crowd. It's the fact that there are people in a room screaming and laughing and enjoying the movies that I grew up with and I still to this day find a lot of love in. And being able to share that love and see that love shared by so many other people is one of the most magical things you can have. So for all of those out there in the Chicagoland area and beyond, if you if you find yourself as a true horror fan, as, as a fan of some of the wackiest and most deep dive horror films you can see, I highly recommend you check out the rest of the episode and watch some, of, uh, watch some, if not all of the movies. If you want to find another list of these movies outside of what we list, you can head over to the Music Box. Uh, just, just Google Music Box of Horrors 2023, or you can go to the Music Box Theater's website where you can find all of the movies with all like the little blurbs written by uh the two hosts now i highly recommend you check it out enjoy this episode and let's dive into the music box of horrors let's hope this is working well this time uh we're here uh, let me do an intro i can never do it uh, 
This is Matt here reporting to you live from the 2023 Music Box of Horrors. But this year, unlike many other years in the past, I am not alone in this journey. I am joined by who I am dubbing our official FX artist, our, our brand new companion to this kind of evening and for this entire Music Box of Horror. I'm joined by Charlotte. Say hello, Charlotte. Hello, hello. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, so we have just got to the very end of the first film, The Music Box of Horrors, which was the 1928 silent film, The Fall of the House of Usher, which was accompanied live by a score by the Alvin Cobb Jr. Trio. Yes, and they did a phenomenal job. Um, it was a almost contemporary take of the score, I would say, um, but it was amazing. It was a, a keyboard, bassist, and drum set um, accompaniment, and they fit the tone perfectly, and um, they really kind of kept amping, amping up the energy as it swelled in the film. Yeah, I, I couldn't have imagined watching that without them. There was times where I was like thinking, like, wait, was that in the original score? Like, there was moments that seemed so real and so visceral that the live accompaniment was just perfect. But not only was the live accompaniment wonderful and a real highlight of watching the movie, the I think the thing with silent films in general that make them really powerful is their use of like set and their set design and like how a living and full the environment was. What did you what did you think of the design of the movie and how the actual like physicality of the film looked, Charlotte? I thought it was very, um, obviously it's more um, gothic type horror, mm -hmm. I would say, um, very ethereal and the dramatic lighting and everything really enhanced like just that sort of unsettling feel throughout the film. And there were also some very interesting effects they did, even for, you know, you're surprised by the 1920s, but they were experimenting with the visual effects even back then. There were lots of um, like superimposed imagery to kind of create this like ghostly feel and sort of supernatural circumstances that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, like when they're, they're at one point in the film, the uh, main character, Robert Usher, is carrying his wife across the lake on a boat and they superimpose these lit candles that are all over the house. So it's like a, this kind of shared motif. So, man, I, I'm really blown away. I, I, again, I don't know if I could recommend this movie like many silent films without the live score. Because yeah. if you didn't have it, it might be not as impactful. I, I had the same thing. I was thinking as the movie was coming to a close, I was like, I don't know if I could appreciate this the same way without the live score that we had. Because yeah. it was so impactful. Um, but I am kind of curious to know what the original score was like. Obviously, yeah. I haven't ever seen the film before this moment, so I'd still be curious to give it a watch with the original score. Um, but this was definitely, I think, the best way to view it. I agree. And, I mean, I think it's another killer way to open the Music Box of Horrors for 2023. And for every Music Box of Horrors, having a live score open the evening, I think, truly kind of gives magic to, like, the history of cinema and the history of horror which I think for gothic horror and this, these kind of origin points that we all experience, it comes from this live majesty of music. But like I really liked what you said earlier, Charlotte, where this was like a more almost contemporary musical performance, um, which mirrors what we got last year, which is really cool. Um, so any final thoughts on the fall of the House of Usher, Charlotte? Uh, any final thoughts? Yeah. I think this is just a strong opening to the Music Box Night. So this is my first time at this event, so... Um, that was just a really unique experience, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the uh, films that we're going to see today. 
Yeah, likewise, we'll keep checking in. We'll see how our minds continue to deteriorate as 24 hours of inundated cinema takes us. Uh, but for my official rating, so Charlotte, I don't know if you know, we have two official rating scales here in the podcast. We have how charmed were you by the movie, and that's a zero to four scale. Zero being that you were not charmed at all, and four being you're fully charmed. And then we have a one to five overall quality rating. That's like, you know, very base bones, like, was it well made? Was it shot well? Did it look cool? So for me, with the live score, it's always a four out of four charms. Um, I think the movie itself, though, like it's bare bones, even without potentially the incredible live score, just the production and the aesthetics and I guess sort of the writing. But I mean, it's a silent film, so it's hard to say um, is, a, is a solid three out of five. Charlotte, what are those final ratings for you? So I had a similar opinion. So I was also going to say, of course, four to four for the score. Um, that was to me the most one of the most impressive parts of the film. Um, for the film itself, um, I was going to give it three out of four for charms because it's obviously um, something well beyond our, our time. Yeah. So I have to appreciate that like what it was doing was in a ways ahead of its time, the way they were playing with the effects and everything. Um, but of course it was a well-made film and everything and the actors too even a silent film some of the humor came across yes. with the, the doctor's performance was a joy um and i'd say overall i'm sorry what was the final uh, what was your zero out of five zero, zero out of five? five for like just like general quality like what you'd put in a magazine general quality maybe like 3.5 out of five i think that's where i'm at on this one all right. Well, that is it for us with for the fall of the House of Usher. We will keep checking in with you tonight throughout for every single film that we're awake for, and we'll see you soon. Ba-da-da-da. It all began as a summer vacation. A young family found a beautiful old house. It had secluded, spacious grounds, a large swimming pool, magnificent furnishings. So you are the people who want to rent this house. What do you mean? It's $900, and then it's all ours. There is one other thing. It's hardly a catch. They thought it was the answer to their dreams, but it was the beginning of a nightmare. Oh God! Oh God! In this old house, up this staircase, behind this locked door, something lives, something strange, something powerful, something evil. Stay away from that door! It will possess this woman. It will destroy this man. It will terrify this child, and no one can stop it. Burnt offerings. Ba-da-ba-da. Hello, Charmers. We're here at the end of movie number two, the 1976 classic Burnt Offerings, directed by... Dan Curtis. So this is a... In a sense, your standard like haunted mystery in a house movie where there's like an old woman and everything's going to seems normal and then just goes worse and worse and worse. But I, I think I really need to lean on our guest Charlotte here because I, I had to miss the first like 20 minutes of this movie. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I got tattooed as my commemorative honor, which you can find over on fourth times a charm podcast uh, Instagram. Uh, but Charlotte, tell the people out there what this movie was about and kind of what, 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 what they were in for. So it kind of starts off as your um, almost a shining setup. Of course, this was pre-shining, but um, you have a family looking to rent this giant estate for the summer, um, and there is an elderly woman. I wouldn't say elderly. Maybe you know she's maybe in her like sixties or so, and her brother who were looking to put up the house for the summer while they're away. Um, 
and it's it's a hell of a steal. Granted, the house is in massive uh, disrepair, which they kind of note, but they offer them nine hundred dollars, and this is seventy six for the whole summer, That's which seems like a steal. Yeah, and so. Um, the father of the family asks, well, what's the catch? And they say, well, our 85-year-old mother is living in the house as well, but she doesn't come out of her room. You only have to leave food three times a day for her, um, and she will take care of herself. But she will never come out. You'll never see her. You won't even know she's here. And so, uh, you know, the the dad kind of says, let me sleep on it. But the wife, uh, Marion, so Benjamin is the father. Marion is the wife. Their son is Davey. Um, Marion convinces him. She says, that's a beautiful house. We'll have such a great time. And uh, the story goes from there. Yeah, I really do not want to give anything away about where this goes. Because this movie goes off the fucking rails. It is a very much a slow burn movie, which they kind of like set up. Yes. It just kind of slowly develops into the absurdity at the end of it. It's not like The Granny, which we watched last year at Music Box of Horrors, where it sets up this kind of like over-the-top eccentric insanity. It's very much like very grounded, but over like the acting um, is chews up the scenery, you know, chews up the, the every inch of the screen and is very, uh, I, I, I don't know what word I would use to describe it, very con- direct i i found well the acting to me at times like i found that i was laughing maybe when we weren't supposed to but some of the i think a lot of it was a delivery there were some lines that the way that they were delivered was, was honestly pretty comical but it didn't make it unenjoyable though yeah it has that it has that moment where i think if you watch this movie alone or like with like one other person at your house you'd like chuckle but when you're in a crowd of people like this, it's fucking hilarious. We yeah, we were, we were having a great time with this one. So I, I would say uh, overall I enjoyed it. Um, I would say sometimes the, the story was a little inconsistent or like the state of the house seemed inconsistent, but the house was also kind of a point of interest. But sometimes you're like, wait, I thought, you know, I thought this was happening and now all of a sudden this character is kind of back to normal or they've kind of already gone back to you know, how they were, which it kind of disrupted, like, this sort of um, slow burn flow that it had the whole time. But still worth a watch. Yeah, likewise. I mean, it, it's it. the movie knows what it is, but then it also disagrees with itself. And the house in the movie is a character of itself. And I think that's part of what is so interesting about this movie. It, from my observation is that it... It doesn't necessarily decide that it's going to be one thing. It does multiple things. Like sometimes the plants are alive. Sometimes they're not. And it does. you kind of feel that madness of the characters throughout the, the experience, which I think is really, really cool. Uh, I mean, I even missing the first beginning of this movie, I highly recommend you go and seek out Burnt Offerings. It is fantastic. Um, I, based with having discount the, the beginning of the movie, which I missed, I still give this like a three, na- three out of four charms, maybe a two and a half. It's got that 70s vibe, which I love for horror, but it was also like, it wasn't as over the top as it could be. It wasn't as insane as it could be, but it was really solid and overall quality. I mean, I think it takes like kind of pretty big hit. It's a 70s low budget horror movie. It's like a two out of five, but not to a fault. It's it's just not incredible, but it's really straightforward. Charlotte, what would your final review of the movie be? Yeah, I was falling also on about two and a half charms. Um, like I enjoyed it. It wasn't like outstanding for me. So yeah, two and a half charms I think is fair. And overall, like two, two and a half out of five, let's say. I'd say it was uh, 
I don't know, compared to a lot of films from the 70s and everything, too, I don't think it stands out the most among them, but it's still um, still a good watch. All right, well, that was Burn Offerings. You can tell the crowd loved it. See you soon. Welcome back, everybody. This is Matthew and Charlotte, and we just got done watching what I think highlight of the evening so far in regards to, to what, what was going on experience that's, uh, <laughs> it was 1993's ozone a direct to uh, a, sh- a direct-to-video uh horror goop classic made in akron ohio one of the s- most straightforward and incredible things i've ever seen such an amazing time um i it's one of those ones i didn't expect to see charlotte tell tell the people out there what you thought of this movie <laughs> I went into it completely blind. Um, they introduced it as a, um, what do you call it? A shot, video shot or something, John? Direct to video. Uh, yes, so it was basically shot. Shot on video. Shot, shot on, on video, video genre. So it was all shot basically with the camcorder once that technology became more accessible. Um, so it was extremely low budget. Um, yeah, yeah, it was $3,500. So like le- less than like a month's pay for some people. <laughs> And so it was um, all, you know, friends of friends brought in to act and kind of participate in this in this fun goop fest. I mean, to me, it really felt like uh, an episode of Goosebumps, but even more low budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's reminiscent of a movie like The Stuff, where there's just like a random chemical or substance that's transforming people into fucking something. And it... I, it goes on down a path that I did not expect it to go down. This is another one of those movies that, that cannot be spoiled because you just got to experience of it. But also, I think you could talk about the entire plot of this movie and you wouldn't give anything away because like it just all happens. The, the shift and tone of the, the movie shifts in tone and aesthetic throughout it. But like, I mean, we, we also got a wonderful interview with uh, James Black the uh, the star of the movie who was a friend of the director and helped make the movie out in Akron, Ohio, where they would just drive out every weekend and filmed it over the course of a year. And it was it was a real actor who's been in like great material in just a pure goop fest. Uh, Charlotte, what was your what was your favorite like moment or effect from the movie? Because it just had some real some real glory there. I will say my favorite thing was probably the practical effects they did, like. You know, this was something made in the 90s. It was a passion project, but it was actually surprising to me how they did um, some of their prosthetics and, like, suits and costumes and things and, like, the goop goop and slime and just gross body horror that was in it. That, to me, actually really stood out. So I think, um, you know, the performances were, you know, they did their best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was acted. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, it served its purpose, but for me the highlight was kind of these fun, like, imaginative... Um, transformations that they came up with yeah i have to agree the special effects across the board even just like the face makeup and like scenes where they're moving and really engaging with one another were so incredibly done the early cgi was something i did never never expected to happen in a movie where like it seems like it would take just that much money to edit like 15 seconds of a low budget marvel film is in like the all of the all of the special effects to me go well beyond some of those movies. I mean, it looks better than Doctor Who in two thousand and eight, and that's saying something. Um, I mean, I, I'll go first because this this is like, this is a four out of four charms for me. It's so good, terribly weird that I'm enamored. 
I want to show this movie to as many people as possible. And I'm definitely going to go and check out the other films, both the modern films and the past Tempe films made by the same director and actor. Um, and, you know, quality wise, it, compared to like all cinema, it's like a, it's like a one and a half to a two. But for like what it is, like a direct-to-video film, it's at least a four out of five. It, it does a lot more with so little than I could ever have expected for any other movie. Charlotte, what is your final rating? So I'm out of my element here because I'm generally not most into camp and that, okay. you know, things yeah. that are campy. And this was full camp. I mean, it was full, you know, just just low, low budget, low um, effects, you know, uh really you know just mild performances <laughs> you know so uh, i'm out of my element but it did have charm and passion and you can tell they had fun making it so you got to give it at least three if not like four out of four charms um because you can tell like this was truly a passion project so you have to appreciate that um and if, if you ask me like on a film scale i'd give it like a two out of five yeah i, I mean know, yeah, it's, it's reasonable it's uh you know um, it's not something I would find myself watching normally, but I appreciate that I've seen it and um, got to learn a little bit more about this genre and James Black and uh, kind of their project that they've worked on. Yeah, likewise. So please go check out Ozone. That is a wild ride. Um, we'll talk more about this one because this one's going to need to have a full like dive into with Ben and Monty, I think, because I think I need them to see this movie as well as Tempe Films, other films. Uh, they mentioned one called Galaxy of Dinosaurs and I, you know, and Zombie Cop. So we're going to bring those back because those are must watches. So uh, we'll see you for the next one. We're both still alive and not going crazy yet. So we'll see how the night goes on. But da da all right, but da da da, everybody. We're here at the end of movie number four. It was 2000's The Convent by Mike Mendez. Now, this was, like Ozone, a real surprise. Um, I went in completely blind. I thought it was the movie The, Co uh, the Convent or The Covenant, which is a witch movie. I was very wrong. Uh, this was one of those truly irreverent, utterly violent, goopy 2000s horror movies. Char Charlotte, I, I, I think this movie spoke to you on a spiritual level. Tell me, tell me what you thought of the co uh, the convent. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Uh, they the writing of it was was fun. I'd say the the effects were, were goofy and campy, you know, and, and not not too stellar. However, uh, the characters um, were the funnest part. Yeah, the the entire cast just had some of the most ridiculous. 2000s writing the the one the one of the male leads uh kept trying to imply that he'd be able to hook up with any women if he just had five minutes which is a motif repeated i think at least seven times throughout the movie which at makes least he was uh just give me five minutes baby calm down baby you know one of those kind of guys he was you know the misogynistic stoner but uh, at the same time he was a lot of fun so he was probably one of my favorites in the movie <laughs> yeah it's it's one of those movies where the characters are so dumb and simple that like despite being awful you don't really hate any of them but you're also completely happy watching all of them die yep. yeah it's uh it's like a movie like the faculty where you're just set up to enjoy them dying, or like again, I, I mentioned this last in the la for the last review, but the granny, which is just a like a, a super silly murder fest, and this movie uh, strikes right at that balance. It's also very reminiscent of the Night of the Demon series, where it's just kind of irreverent and it's just about like a group of people going to a place to fucking die, and that's that's really it. There's not too much 
to this movie, but it's, it's only 76 minutes. It doesn't get in its own way ever, and it just kind of happens, right? Yeah, I think the brief runtime works in its benefit. It's not drawn out. It's pretty straightforward, and if you enjoy... Uh, if you enjoy some some silly effects and fluorescent blood, this is probably the movie for you. Yeah, the fluorescence is the key. Like the demons just get blue fluorescent paint painted on them, and their blood is just neon red goop. It was like neon pink. Yeah, it was, and the neon everything was neon, and that's how you know you're possessed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The the best way to know if you're possessed is if is if you're neon. So this is again, and I know it's gonna get a little redundant here, um, but that's what the music box of horrors is all about. This is a four out of four charms. This is just a good, happy time. There's no faff. There's no real, like, drama or story. There's a story, sure, but it's like, it's just good time. It's good murders. Again, mediocre effects. Looks like it had the same budget as Ozone, but maybe a little bit more. Definitely had a bigger budget than Ozone. But yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but overall, good movie. Great time. I highly recommend it. Um, this is this is one you throw on if you ha if you want to, like, just like have a background movie at a party. I think you could watch this movie without the audio on and just blast music over it and have a really good time. Yeah, it's a good it's a good uh, movie to set the tone maybe at like a party or something if you wanted to. I'd I'd give this one maybe three three and a half max charms, but okay. I'd say I'm more comfortable with three. Um, had a lot of fun with it. Wasn't like outstanding by any means, but it was a fun ride and especially a lot of fun to watch with the group. Um, I'd say overall probably like a 3 out of 5 uh, 3 out of 5 for the uh, underscore there. Yeah, I'd give it a 3 out of 5 as well for like overall filmmaking quality. It's simple, it's straightforward great set. Uh, I mean they had a great set and setting for the movie which really kind of helps center the story um, it, it, this is either going to be a palate cleanser for your group of film watchers or a tone setter. But either either way, the convent is a fucking big ups. Music Box of Horror is currently hitting it four out of four films. Up next, we got Rack, a movie that we're both very familiar with. So you'll probably get a nice short kind of concise review after that one before we get some more mysteries coming down the line. Uh, this has been Matt and Charlotte from the field. See you soon. But up, but uh, hello, charmers. We're back here. We're technically at the end of movie six. I think yeah, six. Was it six. Yeah, because Rick was five. Huh. Yeah, I think that's six then. Yeah, so we're technically at the end of movie six because we were not able to get to you right after the wreck. Um, but wreck is a movie we all know. Um, largely, I think, regularly considered probably one of the best Spanish horror films ever made. Um, one of the best Spanish language films uh, in the horror genre I think I've seen outside of some of Guillermo del Toro's films. Um, it was just as good as it always was. Um, it, it's funny, I was thinking about this while we were watching Wreck, though. I don't think it's a very charming movie on the one to four scale. It's like a two out of four because it's well made and well acted, but it's not charming. It's just cool and spooky and like heavy, um, but it's like a five out of five production wise. Like, I don't think you do, no one else has ever done found footage slash zombie movies as well, except for maybe like 28 days later or 28 weeks later. Um, do you have any thoughts you want to share about Wreck? Wreck, it's, it's one of my all-time favorites. It's part of my collection of DVDs that I own that I'm uh, pretty specific about. It's just something that I think really stands out for the genre in terms of the acting, just being well-made, having great build of tension and claustrophobia. Um, it plays on a lot of great fears. Um, so Wreck is one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, I guess on the charm meter, yeah, if you're talking about movies with, like, camp, like, a lot of heart and stuff like yeah. that, yeah, I guess you wouldn't consider it, like, a charming movie. Um, 
like like for me, I think the example is like Nightmare on Elm Street's a four out of four charms, um, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not a four out of four charms. It's like a three. Um, I think they're both equally good movies, but like I'm not charm. I'm not like laughing and having a good time. I'm not enjoying my time. Like Climax is not a charming movie. It's a disturbing film, but Tatane is charming because it is so weird. Oh, I see what you mean. So kind of like the quirk factor. Yeah, it has the, unique personality that's more than just what's happening. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit, there's some charm in there with some of yeah. the kind of the strange residents of this apartment building, and they're kind of like, their dialogue is kind of personalized. I'd give it at least three out of four charms um, for that, because I think they gave a nice little flavor to the residents of the apartment building, and that you can appreciate that. Yeah, I agree. I think. I mean, I think that's another like layer to like how quality of a film it is, because it's beautifully written beautifully filmed and it's so it's so well developed that like those things are undeniable about it but when it comes to talking about undeniable films uh we just got done watching and listening to an interview with a director of a tremendous new film a film that i had zero inclinations about even the ones that i i didn't know about like the last two films prior to wreck i knew like there was like there was history and i knew they had like context that made them good this is a brand new film weather like in Macedonia. Well, we have sun for the flag, so. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Joking, my friend. Come on, relax. This place here, I also know very well. Are you local? My father used to work here before the war. When the country split apart, right? Yes. You want to see real Serbia? I'll show you around. in America. Stop the car! Oh, sweet home. This guy is a psychopath, and I am not safe. Go back home. You show pictures to your friends. You look at pictures. You don't see? Let me paint you a picture. This is Eight Eyes uh, from the director Austin Jennings. Now, he Austin Jennings is, is one of the runners and uh, directors of The Last Drive-In, which is a great, uh, amazing source out there. But this was something special. This was a a film that was that was made and set in Serbia and told the tale of the, the classic tale of two dumb Americans on an adventure to Eastern Europe. We've seen it in Hostel. We've seen it in hundreds of movies. But it told such a unique, almost folk horror, occult story using and, and filming it in such a way that was reminiscent of the 70s and like kind of those 80s Eastern European films. It was really, really something cool. Um, Charlotte, tell us a little bit about Eight Eyes. Yeah, without spoiling anything, you know, it, it's a very, I'd say it turns into a very unique story. Um, but one thing it did was it was such an excellent um, 
builder of dread. So you're watching these characters, you know this, like Matt said, you know the story of, you know, ignorant tourists kind of falling for traps, but it wasn't, uh, you know, it, you could feel that there was something wrong the whole time, but of course the character that is like charming this couple or like convincing them to do things they wouldn't normally do, um, always did so well at making it an awkward social situation to prevent them from wriggling out of it. Like, he was so good at manipulating them. Um, and that was part of the, the dread factor was you're like, oh, no, what's he trying to get them to do? What, where is this going? And where it goes is just, it's just very unique. I don't want to spoil it. Um, but again, uh, th the one thing that made it unique was that um, in the Q&A, the director was talking about the process for making this film and everything was done on film so there wasn't any like CGI added or whatever after that it was no it was yeah, yeah it was direct manipulation either of the film or animation type style um, done with glass panels and manipulating glass panels and imagery to capture these kind of psychedelic shots um, and it's it's tremendous like it the mu the movie is I don't know what the budget was but the movie is stunning from like point A to point B and it's and like the sets that were designed in the thing were apparently were all set dressed so they were like real locations but they were designed and built out by actual people like from the Serbian area and the Serbian film industry and using like on-site locations like these abandoned buildings created such powerful motifs and let a, and, and on top of all of that like Charlotte said the incredible filmmaking and like art form like the literal art of making cinema was like a huge part of this film and you can tell um, in the movie it is I think dreads the perfect word I think in movies uh, like hostile or any or anything like kind of like what this actually movie reminds me of the, the, the amount of dread this movie makes me feel is the same as it follows totally different aesthetic and journey but the same kind of just like encroaching you're not escaping nothing's gonna work and you're just like are like come on stop just do the thing just 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 do the thing and i think that does come down to saint peter who's the um e e evil inciting manipulative villain of the of the film uh played by a man named bruno don't know his last name but i know his name is bruno because austin jennings talked about it his performance i think sits above anything else of all the movies we've seen tonight him and Emily Sweet, the lead female. Fantastic, yeah, I loved her performance. I don't think we've seen a better performance tonight. Genuinely, like, like when it comes to like hardcore, not even campy, just incredible acting and performance, I don't think we've seen anything else like it. Um, for me, this is the heaviest recommendation from the evening, especially for a new film. I 100% we're going to have to do another watch of this movie, another dive into it, and other films made by Austin Jennings. I want to watch more films with Bruno. Um, that man, I'm in love. Um, he's a big, bulky Eastern European man, and that's my type. I was, I was enamored. So, I mean, I, I, again, this is similar to Wreck, not an overly charming film, in that regard, like so, it's like a it's like a two and a half, a three out of four charms because it's it's cool, and I liked it, but like I was deeply uncomfortable the whole time, which you're supposed to feel. But even more than rack, any, anything else we've seen tonight, the harshest of like four point nine five to five out of five on the quality scale. I don't know what else you could do to touch a movie like this. I don't think you could 
There's not a wasted second, and there's not a frame I would add. I, I'm blown. This is like Alex Garland's men from earlier last year. It, oh, I'm completely movie. blown away. You're <laughs> getting deep here, everybody. It's, 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 it, it is a cur- currently, we've almost been here for, tw- actually, no, we've been here for 12 hours. Because we got in line a little over tw- a little over twelve hours ago, so the, the the veil is stripping back. The onion of of Shrek is opening. Charlotte, with that with that unveiling, tell tell the people out there what you think about this movie. How charmed were you, and uh, what do you give it on a, on a scale of quality? Yeah, charmed. Um, you know, this one they played it pretty straight. It was a lot of dread and insidious. Um, acting and script and not much room for comic relief at all so I wouldn't consider this a charming film you know maybe maybe two out of four on the charm scale and I maybe it would attribute that to um, the cleverness of the antagonist in this um, but quality yeah 4.5 out of 5 for sure you know I I don't know what it would take to like push that little point five up there you know um, I think Maybe to me the like the twist or little ending wasn't as effective. Mm, yeah. Maybe is that maybe what that point five is, but it doesn't take away from the rest of the movie as a whole. I think the ending just is what it is, and you either like it or you're okay with it, and that's fine. Um, but no, I think this was the most well-made film that I've seen this night, and in recent, you know, even in terms of recent horror movies that I've seen, one of the best made, best acted, and I recommend it. Yeah, Will, Will, our host, um, said part of the reason they brought this film here tonight because it was refreshing. It didn't feel like anything else. It's referential without being a, a, like a homage. And that's, that's the best way to put it. This was a refreshingly amazing film. From the opening shots of a fire burning to the ending, it genuinely refreshing. I agree. I think there could have been a little tweaking maybe at the ending, but I think that was on, on purpose with the way the story was being told. And so I don't, fa- I don't necessarily fault it for it, but I agree. I could see something kind of growing there at the end. But overall, huge recommendation. Go check this out. We're going to be back in. We got Candyman next, the Chicago classic. Um, and this has been Matt and Charlotte from the field. See you soon. See you with eight eyes. Uh, All right, everybody. We're here <laughs> at the end of the seventh movie. Um, the marquee movie of this of the year, um, the movie that plays at midnight when the rest of the dregs show up, the ones who aren't strong enough to do the 24 hours and only come for the 12. Um, also get to join us, Mad Men and Mad Women, as uh, we just watched the absolute classic Candyman. Now, uh, as a Chicago horror fan and as a horror fan, I think we all know Candyman. This one kind of is like Wreck, where there's not much to say that hasn't been said by a hundred other people but seeing it in the theater with with all the people like this really is a tremendous experience for me this was a movie i like rented at blockbuster and like watched at home and so now seeing it in like on the big screen with all the people uh really really amplified the experience charlotte what what do you what do you think about candy man well, I actually didn't grow up watching this one. I think I watched this one for the first time maybe in the last year or two. Wow, holy shit. Yeah, and that was after I had seen the reboot slash like spiritual sequel that came out not too long ago. So watching that without any context was weird. <laughs> and then so when I came back and watched this one, it made that reboot make a lot more sense. Um, but I'd say it's, a, it's a definitely a solid entry. Um, to me, just personally, I always found the narrative kind of confusing on this one. 
like some things just kind of always didn't add up or were a bit confusing like to me about like the extent of Candyman's powers and how the hypnosis stuff kind of like why you know but but I appreciate that like it is a classic and it's kind of um, tied to like Chicago's history is always very interesting and this time around I just paid more attention to the score um, which is by Philip Glass because that's something I I guess didn't pay much attention to my first watch through but my uh, my piano teacher actually mentioned it to me so I decided to pay attention to it and I enjoyed how um, you know the whole movie isn't filled with score there's lots of silent moments and lots of tense kind of brooding moments but that little piano theme that always kind of comes through again just kind of sets a little bit of unease and mystery um, to the film so I really enjoyed um, noticing that this time yeah I think I think one of the most beautiful things about the music box of horror is how when we're watching all of these movies uh, next to each other the great ones the ones that are notoriously great like Candyman stand out even more and it's for those little elements like I was thinking the exact same thing when she's standing on the bridge and that big gothic organ hits. It is just so all-encompassing. I think what I what I really came to terms with, and I, I agree with you, the, the narrative in this one, even more so than like fucking Hellraiser, which is very like has no the rules are not realistic. But it the thing I think I got out of this one is this one truly felt like Lovecraftian. Like in in like as I've delved into like that kind of cosmic kind of like insanity horror more and more, this one really kind of fit into that realm because what makes those stories so good is is a combination of harsh reality next to the unexplainable, uh, and you don't get all the answers and you don't get everything detailed out. And this one really really kind of captured that experience for me, especially watching it this time. I mean, there's a line in the movie that uh, Charlotte and I both kind of noted on was that like at one point Candyman himself says, uh, you killed my congregation, which is a line that I'm pretty sure is probably notorious, but I had never really paid attention to. And really that really set it into this horror world that is like a different flavor than we get from a normal um, horror slasher film like this. It's not, it's not Freddy, it's not Jason, it's not Pinhead. It really is its own kind of Lovecraftian entity. Uh, which is really cool for in like a classic horror film like this. Uh, what what do you, what's your official rankings and ratings for this movie, Charlotte? Official rankings? Oh, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the the charm. If I had to go with charm, the main appeal to me is like the aesthetic and like abilities of Candyman. So the bees. I'm pretty sure um, I'd have to double check on this but i'm almost positive that all the bees and everything were like an actual practical effect which to me is just amazing um so that like him covered in his bees and his big long coat and his hook and everything that immediately that's like that's like three at least three out of four charm yeah i think i i agree i agree three it's definitely three out of four charm because like kind of like freddy Candyman's character is so strong and so engaging that it, it, it it pulls it up into that charmed world and it's you know it's chicago so and I think it's, you know, like a four and a half, four out of five quality-wise. It's beautiful. It's well shot. It's cool. The practical effects, like you said, are amazing. So where, where do you give it on a five on the, on the, the power scale? That, for me, is a little tougher because um, I think the first half of the movie, to me, is so strong. Like, the narrative builds up. Her motivations and everything come across so clear. And then, like, the second half to last third all of a sudden kind of to me start unraveling a bit and that maybe that's where i'm so thrown off because the first is so like straightforward versus the ending i do like the psychological aspect of 
you know, is she actually doing this or um, or is it actually Candyman, you know? So there's there's that kind of um, fun aspect that they played with in this. I'd probably sit with a 3.5 out of 5. Solid. Well, another a movie I don't think we need to give a firm recommendation on because, you know, if you haven't seen it, just go watch it. It's fucking Candyman. It's one of the best. Um, and uh, that's it. We're at hour 13 of official runtime in the festival. Um, I think hour about 14 for us. So uh, we're going strong. The bodies are starting to ache and, and, and soar a little bit from these little tight chairs. But uh, we're going to keep on keeping on. Up next, we got something else that I don't remember the name of because I'm sleepy. Um, but we're going to keep on keeping you guys informed and up to date with all of these happenings. I'm sure you're listening to these all back to back now, which makes these whole interludes really kind of unnecessary because you don't have the beauty of time between them. But I, I do. And these keep me sane. So this has been Matt and Charlotte checking in about Candyman. We'll be back next time uh, with our next film, film number seven, because this was six, right? And number eight or seven. Well, you'll find out at the beginning of the next movie. Yay. But it is Matt here. It's currently 3.30 in the morning. We just got done with, again, another double feature. Now, this time it was not by our own decision-making. It was by the decision-making of our programmers here because we had uh, two films back-to-back with no break, starting with a follow-up from the director of uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, the 2005 film Haze by Shinya Takamoto. Now, this was a truly strange film. Um... It was purely artistic motif. It was like a liminal space prison movie. Um, despite not having like really a, much of a plot, I guess. I think uh, the ending kind of threw me off on that one. But the, 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 the aesthetic and the dedication to the scenery and the way the actor and the filmmaker had to like conjoin to make the images that were being portrayed in that movie, it was really cool. Now, cast your memory back. What, what did you think of Haze? Haze to me was interesting. Um, first and foremost, there's no true narrative to it, I would say. Um, it simply it simply is. <laughs> there's no like on you know overarching story exactly. you're You're kind of following a man grappling with a strange situation, a strange and and uh, torturous situation. Um, also, if you are claustrophobic, don't watch that movie. Yeah, you will have not a at bad all. Time. <laughs> but overall, I found it to be a, a pretty interesting experience. At least, like it, it lulls a little bit. There's kind of some uh, some some dialogue that lasts a little while, and it, it lulls a little bit. But the the kind of relationship that this character finds with another character throughout the course of their like suffering, I think, is kind of the point. And was actually kind of interesting. I like you know, just heavy with like metaphor, um, probably about like isolation and hopelessness and those kinds of feelings, and possibly even like suicide and things um, that I thought was interesting. You just have to see it for yourself. Yeah, it was a pure <laughs> atmospheric vibes kind of thing, and it, it it tries to push the boundary and be uncomfortable, and it succeeds at certain times, and other times there's just like two minute long periods of them just showing you know flashes of 
body parts, which <laughs> I don't know. I, why. I will say, I will say, um, there were some really great moments of kind of like sensory discomfort, yes. which was I thought great. The teeth. Yeah, the, the, there's things happening to teeth. There's things happening to feet and hands and and uh, tight spaces. But yeah, I agreed. Like. We didn't need to see that many flashes of dismembered body parts. It kind of got a little redundant. However, it's so short that it doesn't matter that much. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you. This person is... We're joined just now by someone who's been on the podcast before. Because we're, we're doing this because otherwise we're both going to die. Um, we not only watched Haze, we also watched Demon Witch Child from 1975. And we're joined by my friend Winter, uh, who was previously on our Jim's Fest episode. Winter, what did you think of Demon Witch Child? Uh, my review is one word, and it's ex- exorcist. I, th- I think we can all agree I almost died during this movie. Um, it uh, Yeah, Sharp, take it away. It's, uh, you know, if we're doing the charm versus uh, rating factor, it was like maybe like two two out of four charm and like a one star, man. Like it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's always a mo- moment in this festival where it feels like my soul's being drained out of me. It, this time it hit earlier. Last year it was Calvair. Um, and, and then, and then I think two years ago, I, I, I hate to say this for you, which are, it was the, whatever Dario Argento movie they showed, I died. Um, I don't know, but we're, we're, we're looking ahead. We got, we got Sorority House Massacre and Piranha 2 coming up. Um, so we got some life ahead of us. So we're going to keep checking in with you guys. Once we have a little bit more energy, we got to survive. Any final thoughts on Hayes or Demon Witch Child? I, I will say Demon Witch Child had some glorious dubbing. Um, oh, that yeah. was the highlight of the film was some dubbing, some very uh, raucous events performed by a child in this film. Um, <laughs> and yep. just all around uh, tomfoolery. And if you want to just see some some bad uh, you know, bad acting and, and plot and uh, endure that for 90 minutes, then by all means... Yeah, please go watch Haze. Uh, that was cool. That was atmospheric. That was a wild ride. Uh, don't watch Demon Witch Child. Uh, Haze is a four out of four charms. It's like a, also like a three out of five quality wise because it looked cool. Uh, yeah, that movie sucked. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Sorority House Massacre. After a weekend with us, you're gonna want to join this sorority. Maybe we are the haunted sorority house after all. One, two, three! Pass your way! Am I crazy? Oh, God. It's him. That's him! That's the guy from my dream! What's the plan here, buddy? You gotta get the reason behind
Sorority House Massacre, a slash course in absolute terror. What up, Buddha? It's Matt and Charlotte back here again with our next film. I think this is number 10 or 11? Yeah, yeah, that was number ten, and a, a a good return to form after the the atrocity of what was the what Demon Witch Child. Yeah, after Demon Witch Child, which just stole my soul away. We we went we went firmly to the '80s and firmly to like classic slasher territory. Um, we just we just watched the 1986 uh, Carol Frank's film Sorority House Massacre. Um, it's basically a sleazier version of Halloween. With a little bit less John Carpenter in it. I mean, I, it's it's Halloween, right? Like, I mean, to, for me, I prefer this one over Halloween, just because um, I know that's probably a big controversial. Thing. But the, I mean, a the casting in Halloween, okay, where you're casting thirty-year-olds to play high schoolers, yeah. had an issue with that. And this one, I liked the characterization of all the sorority girls a lot. Yeah. I thought they had a really good cast and good chemistry. Well, and they didn't have they didn't have all the the generic tropes of like your '80s like femme fatales. Like they actually had like characters, and they were smart, and they were like they showed off their education, which was cool. Like it, it was a refreshing take on like literally a movie we've seen before. I think so too. Like it, it you know, it definitely was just kind of a standard slasher, but with I think just a little bit extra, you know, solid writing to it, characterization, um, still a good synth soundtrack. Yeah. to all of it which was nice um you know it still had its tropes you know what do you expect it's a slasher yeah. but i think in terms of you know slashers aren't really my thing to begin with but this one i actually did enjoy so um i would it was shockingly less sleazy than i'd expect usually you get the drugs and the sex and you got like a tiny bit of the sex but not really it was really just kind of like a good time like there's a extended like happy-go-lucky dress-up scene that's just kind of yeah. cool and nice, I, I, you know, I expect more like of like, you get, you, you got, we all got used to the, the Friday the 13th formula where they just ramped up the sleaze and ramped down the story. And this one ramped up the story and ramped down the sleaze. Even though it was kind of a retread, it was still a really refreshing film. And it, you know, not, not to spoil anything, but it, it was almost like a mix between Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween because of certain, certain like psychological yeah. slash dreamlike elements that were kind of an interesting little take. That I thought was neat. Yeah, it used it utilized like the delivery of the backstory of like the insane guy from the past story super well. Like it wasn't overblown or kind of just like a, a random flashback. Yeah, and without spoiling again, I like that there was a um, a sort of connection there. It wasn't a completely random killing. Um, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't Friday the Thirteenth where it's just like stab time or like you know all of the later freddy movies where it's just like ooh look people to kill who happen to live here yeah, and i i liked that you know like the time we spent with the characters you know it it amps up that you know sorrow that you feel for them when you start seeing them getting picked off like it's not they're not just fodder for the camera but they're kind of they were friends you know well it's funny because the other sorority sisters in the movie at the beginning are the ones that you'd want to get killed in a slasher movie and then they'd always leave so you're just left with like the nice, nerdy, cool ones who like don't deserve to get murdered. And I think there's there's a there's some really really cool directing and visuals where the different femme fatale characters get reimagined, and you get to see them through the eyes of the killer. You know, as they they become like it's not really a spoiler, but they kind of like 
he, you know, killed a bunch of people when he was a teenager and he killed a bunch of kids. And the, ma- the main villain actually starts to envision the sorority sisters that he's killing as the kids, which is kind of a cool connection to, like, his psychosis. Like, it's, like, a very grounded take on it, despite the tropes and, like, them just not just leaving the house. Well, and the cool thing, too, is all sorority sisters had, like, a psychology background. So they kind of, they had a lot of really cool, like, dialogue and things to incorporate into it, which I, I appreciated. Yeah, if you're a psychology nerd, there's a lot of, like, really fun little, like, quips in here. Um, overall, um, I think I'm coming down at, like, a two and a half out of four charms. It was cool. It was nice. It was simple. Uh, and quality-wise, again, yeah, it's really just... This is just a, a middle-of-the-pack straightforward, nice, refreshing piece before we ramp up into these last four kind of wacky movies. So I think I'd give it, like, a, a three out of five, two and a half, maybe, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm... On the same lane there, I would even give it, I, I'll stick with three out of four charm for me just because I appreciated that um, they weren't just camera fodder, mm-hmm. but they, they all had some personality and character to them, and which was nice. You know, it still had its tropes, but better than most slashers for me. And then three out of five for the, uh, for the power of it. Yeah, so solid recommendation. Go check out Sorority House Massacre and the other Carol Franks films. And uh, we're going to be back next with Piranha 2. I, I real a real uh, uptick in tone here, so let's see if we can rally through these last couple hours, last five hours of oh no seven hours of cinema. We got a full workday ahead of us, um, but I think we're gonna make it. All right, talk to y'all later. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's six thirty in the morning. We just watched James Cameron's directorial de- debut. I think I don't know. It was Piranha Two. Uh, it's the second Piranha movie. Um, there's flying piranhas in it. James Cameron's James Cameron. Uh, thoughts? I'm an unreliable reviewer on this one. I, I happened to take a nice big doze. But, uh, you know, indeed there were flying piranhas. People were getting their throats bitten out by piranhas. I, I can speak really firmly to the first and third act of this movie. The second act of the movie kind of just happens because I also was in and out of consciousness. Um, but overall, it's a good time. It's James Cameron at his best. It's charming. Um, it's got great effects. I mean, shockingly good acting, which I think comes down to James Cameron's directing and then also some horrifically bad acting, which comes down to James Cameron's directing. Um, I mean, yeah, if you, if you need an extra fish movie or you really like James Cameron, I'd recommend this, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a good footnote. It's a good movie. I mean, I don't think it's substantially better or worse than the original Piranha, but it's also, I think I've seen this more often than I've seen Piranha 1, so, you know, travel at your own risk. Uh, I, I assume, Charlotte, I assume you, you, you don't have a firm ranking on this one. I, uh, <laughs> you, you can't trust any ranking for me on this one. I also have not even seen the first Piranha for comparison, so I... <laughs> I am a I'm a fish out of water on this one. Oh, boom. Now that's a 4 out of 4 charms right there. Um this movie's like a it's 3 out. It's it's like a it's like a solid 3 across the board. It's 3 out of it's like you know, actually I'll say 2 and a half out of 5 quality and 3 out of 4 charms. This movie really relies on the fact that it's it's endearing and it's James Cameron. So watch it. The next movie's going to be great. We'll be back. It's 6:30 in the morning. What's up, Charmers? We just got to the end of movie 12, that being the amazing 
and Legendary Edition to the Child's Play series, 1999, 1991's Child's Play 3, a.k.a. the one at the Military Academy. Um, a good film, uh, a good addition to the whole Child's Play franchise in general. Um, one of the better inclusions, though, you know, watching this makes me remember that for, for a franchise and for a slasher world, almost none of the original four Child's Play movies are actually bad. Like, this one's good. One and two are great. Um, Bride of Chucky's really good, having gone back to it in the recent years. Um, I haven't watched Seed of Chucky in long enough to have an opinion of it, uh, but that's the weird one with masturbation, so I don't know. Um, Charlotte, what did you think of Child's Play 3? It's also 8.30 in the morning, so... So I... Uh I did my best. I, I was there for maybe the beginning of Child's Play 3. I dozed a bit. I woke up for, like, the grand finale. <laughs> and I'm unfamiliar with... Well, I've watched the first Child's Play, unfamiliar with the entire franchise. Um, so I'll have to go back and, and do a little research there and everything. Yeah, you got, like, eight movies to watch. But, uh, you know, the... Um, the director of the show here said to look out for three things when you watch Child's Play 3 that make it worth a watch. And one was that there's an uncomfortable fetish throughout. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to check in with what that fetish was. I, I wasn't able to discern it. I didn't notice any fetish behavior. But I mean, hey, maybe I'm missing something. I, I don't know. Um, oh, maybe it's the hair thing. Is it the barber? It might be the barber. I wouldn't be surprised. I I didn't catch that obviously because I was a little sleepy. <laughs> yeah, I I think I might have missed it too because I don't have like a hair cutting finish. <laughs> and then what was it? Number two, he said it has one of the darkest deaths out of all of the films, which I missed. I think it's the I think it's the grenade death. I think it's the kid committing suicide by jumping on a grenade. That's my guess too, because that's that's pretty dark shit. <laughs> yeah, especially in a child's play movie it's pretty it's pretty hefty well and and the kid getting shot with a live round because that's not even a chucky kill that's like a random kid shooting another random yeah, that, kid that was an absolutely devious uh you know um plan that chucky came up with so i appreciate that his uh he's a sinister little little demon there yeah i think on the on the scale of of, of personality and, and and connivingness i think chucky takes the top just below freddy like I think, I think I think he's just above Freddy because Freddy's like in the dream, so it's kind of it's kind of self manifested. Chucky's just like a chaos agent, or Charles Lee Ray, I guess in that regards. Yeah. Um, well, since Charlotte slept through this one too, I, I'll give my rankings here. Um, I think every Child's Play movie is a four out of four charms. I, I you can't really touch any of them. They're all pretty amazing. And this one's like a two and a half out of five, maybe a three. It's good. It's solid. It's fun. It's a lot better than I remembered, um, but far from the glory of the first two. From what you saw, Charlotte, what, what, how, how did you feel about this one? I, I think I agree on the charms, at least at least three out of four on the charms, because Chucky is an undeniable character. Um, you know, he just commands the screen whenever he's there. His little, little uh, demented laugh and, and smile and all that, you know, um, that's absolutely charming. Yeah. And... Uh, in terms of the quality, it felt like a more fucked up Goosebumps episode again. So I'd say I'd say like two, you know, two and two and a half out of five is accurate. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our twelfth film. We have two more remaining. We have Frailty and the glorious final feature, which I will save 
to announce when we get after we watch it because I'm sure we're gonna be in a weird state of mind when we talk about that movie. Um, overall, though, it's a great year music box of horror. Um, still jamming out here, staying alive. Like my, I think fourth cup of coffee. I don't know anymore. Um, and uh, we'll see what comes up next. Bye bye. Uh, the agent in charge of the case? That's right. What can I do for you? I'm here because I can't live with what I know anymore. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I know who the goddamn killer is. What makes you think that? He hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. They were raised to obey their father. Go to see Homer. To love him. To trust him. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. Until... Wake up, I've got something to tell you. Hey, what's wrong? There are demons among us. I can see the demons while other people can. I'm scared, Dad. Nothing that crazy could be real. The angel told me that God would be sending weapons. Maybe you just dreamed it. Maybe you're not right in the head. God will be sending a list of the first seven demons. These are people's names. And they'll look like people. They're not. Dad made up this whole thing. Do you understand? Well, if it has to be done, it has to be done. Is that true? Why would I make it up? It's all a big lie. I don't want to run away. You are hiding something from me. What is it you think I'm hiding? When I lay my hands on them, I'll reveal them for what they truly are. I got a pretty good idea of them bodies are. I'll tell. Craziest thing I've heard in a long time. Ah! Check the Rose Garden. I don't believe a word of it. But it's true. Bill Paxton. Those were demons. Why can't you see that? Matthew McConaughey. Tell me the truth. Sometimes truth defies reason. You're crazy! Only demons should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? One more. Alright, we are at the end of Music Box of Horrors. Well, we're, we're just about to be there. We just watched our second to last one, our penultimate adventure. Film 13, with Frailty. The uh, Bill Paxton directed Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton starring, and just a, a riveting film. I mean, after, after kind of the slog of like a combination of just like nothingness, and then into kind of like silly horror with Piranha and Child's Play 3. We're hit with like a hardcore, deeply, like traumatizingly dark. But like almost more of a drama than like a, than like a thriller. Kind of closer to like a Zodiac than it is to, to like anything else we've seen tonight. Uh, so, but this was, this was my second time watching Frailty. And this was Charlotte's first. So Charlotte, I'm really curious to see what you thought of the movie. I, um, I was glued to the screen so this is my first time seeing this one and it's right up my alley as a true crime slash you know thriller um, drama fan um, and, you know it's in the same vein as I would say like primal fear almost um, I, I, and I was also saying kind of like sling blade too you kind of have this person explaining like a traumatic backstory um, and it's really like just strong performances, especially from the child actors in the film, which is very impressive. Um, and yeah, it, I mean, the pacing is great. Like it, the story as it keeps unraveling, just kind of keeps you wondering, okay, how's this going to develop? Is it going the way I think it's going to, or is there something more here? Um, and it was just a fantastic watch. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great time. Frailty is a classic. Um, I think it was a, another good one to the bunch. 
I think amongst all of the, ev- the evening's crowd tonight. So it was a nice, it was a nice warm up for uh, Casper, because um, that's what we got to look forward to. Um, I, I, I'm at my end of my logical rope here to provide detailed analysis of Frailty, even though it was a great movie. Um, I can't give it a high charm score because um, I don't find that type of movie very charming, but it's still very good. So I would say it's like a two out of four charms with like a 4.5 out of five or four out of five stars. What do you give it, Charlotte? Yeah, I agree. It's not it's not a feel good movie by any means. You can't you can't relax to this. You can't have a nice little laugh with this. Um, so charm. I mean, hell, the charm's got to be like a one out of four, man. I mean, there's no there's no comic relief whatsoever. It is a, a heavy film. Um, alas, that is my bread and butter, and I love heavy films. So, so uh, in terms of rating, at, at least a four. I would I would stick with a four out of five. I think me personally, um, I don't know that I just personally, my personal tastes, enjoyed how it ended. I'm not saying it wasn't a good ending. I think the writing was really well done. I just think, for me, it makes me sad. <laughs> but but that's a good thing. But like also. Um, no, I mean, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, I, I, we, all, we, bo- we both firmly recommend you check out Frailty. Let us know what you think of the magical realism ending. Um, boy, is it an adventure. And we will see you after Casper. For 100 years, he has wandered the halls of Whipstaff Manor. Waiting for someone. There's a girl on my bed. Yes. Uh, hi. Casper. Can you go invisible? <laughs> that one's easy. Now, life at Whipstaff Manor. Can I keep you? Will never be the same. Cool. Ghosts can't hurt you. Don't come near me, you spiteful spook! We share haunting stories, we throw parties! The parties are always pretty dead, though. I feel like Oprah on hiatus. What the hell do you think you're doing? We have company. Well, company loves misery. Take a hike! Get a grave! Dad? This summer. You guys are disgusting, obnoxious creeps. Thank you. Universal Pictures and Amblin Entertainment. Are we scary or what? Invite you on a wild, wondrous ride. Hurry up, come on! To the other side. Catch him on May 26th. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to Fourth Times the Charm. Charlotte and I have made it all the way through the music box of horrors 24 hours of glory some of the most fun i've had in a music box of horror especially getting to do these wonderful reviews a big shout out to charlotte before we get into these reviews she just kind of was gung-ho and i think has done a wonderful job um so we had one final film 
One incredible final film that is near and dear to many people's hearts, many people's childhoods, 1995's Casper. Now, Charlotte, after 24 hours of madness, tell me what you thought about Casper. I have not watched Casper um, since I was probably in elementary school. And uh, gosh, it was a blast from the past, but I also never realized how unhinged Casper is and how deep the lore is for Casper. <laughs> it was it was strange to re-experience, and I'm glad that I did. I, I'm more than comfortable. We're, 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 listening our, we're doing our final review for the movie because we had to get out for the photo. Um, the, the thing that I found... Is the same. It's there's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of rules that that govern the Casper mythological universe. I do want to say that I, the thing that I was most stunned by, you know, during frailty, I, I, I mentioned to Will and Ryan, the hosts, that I saw God momentarily, um, but only only for Casper to subvert the will of God. Um, they had an angel openly acknowledge that a human had successfully constructed a device to resurrect the dead and supplant the power of the Lord himself. And this was acknowledged by a heavenly body that identified itself as an angel. It is a fucking wild movie. Casper tries to have sex with a young Christina Ricci. It's really fucking weird. That movie is more unhinged than I would have ever expected. I think this happens with every single one of the, um, every single one of the ch children's movies at the end. I'm gonna I'm gonna shout it out here because uh, I want I want the internet to rally behind it. All four listeners of the fourth times the charm to agree with us that next. Next year, they need to show Little Monsters as their uh, as their end movie. Um, but back to, to Casper. Casper's such a good time, such a beloved character. They opened with a 16-millimeter print of one of the original cartoons, which was so beautifully projected and such a good time. Uh, Charlotte, what, what else did you love about Casper? And let me hear your, uh, your final review of not only Casper, but of the music box of horrors themselves. Uh, I guess final thoughts on Casper was, of course, uh, you got to go four out of four charm on that one. Um, the script was just wild enough to, you know, keep me entertained probably the whole time. And a lot of times I was like, I can't believe that they put that in a in a kid's movie, which, you know, some people say a lot, but I really mean that for Casper. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, you got to go probably like three out of five in, in overall quality. I think that's pretty fair. Um, but it was just a good, a good watch over again. It ran a little long though. I felt like they just kept adding more into the story and that's maybe where it started dropping off for me, but still a good watch. Um, and I was happy to attend this, uh, music box of horrors my first time. And I, uh, I honestly feel pretty good after being mostly awake for 24 hours. So, um, no regrets. Yeah, there, there's no regrets to be had with Music Box of Horrors. It is an incredible time. Uh, the only regrets is trapping people in a car while you record reviews. Um, so to wrap it up, and we'll come back to a more formal review of the whole thing once we've had time to sleep and think about this, and we'll go through all of the movies after these reviews. We'll put them in order. We'll rank them. We'll talk about why they were better than the others. Um, but, yeah, as, as Charlotte said, I have to agree. Four out of four charms on Casper. The most charming movie I think we saw somehow out-charmed the convent, which is something magical, um, and even Child's, uh, Child's Play 3, which was just a glorious film. Um, a three out of five in quality. It doesn't do anything too amazing, but it does everything it does right. It really wanted to be Beetlejuice with its ending. It, it desperately wanted to do the Beetlejuice ending, and it didn't pull it off, but it tried. It tried real hard, and I commend it for that. Um, overall, a 
a perfect year at Music Box of Horror. I'm very happy to have welcomed Charlotte for the journey. Next year, we might have our co-host Ben and Monty along with us, too. And so we're going to keep growing our cadre. Eventually, we will have the entire front row to ourselves. That's the dream. Um, and until next year, and until we give our more formal review and talk about Music Box Horrors one more time later in the week, uh, this has been Matt and Charlotte, and this has been the Music Box of Horrors 2023. Uh, talk to you all later. Later.